Something that I think uh, most of us find pretty annoying is when someone wants to give us really strong-armed advice in an area of life where we know that they personally are not living up to the advice that they're giving. I won't ask for a show of hands, but I'll bet every single one of you are annoyed uh, when that type of thing uh, happens. This past spring, I was in Orlando for a conference, and uh, one of my best friends from high school, one of my only friends from high school, uh, <laughs> yes, it was sad, um, he, he lives in Orlando, and so we got together for about half a day or so. Now, my friend Andy, his language is very colorful, and so I cannot give you a full accounting of the story the way Andy told it, uh, but he was telling me about how annoyed he was because a friend of he and his wife had become a life coach, and he was trying to convince Andy to allow him to be his life coach. And Andy, in very colorful language, went down all of the list of ways that this guy's life was in total disarray. And he said something to the effect of, I finally just had to tell the guy, why in the heck would I ever want you to be my life coach? Coach yourself first, and then maybe I'll listen to you somewhere down the road. I once had a similar situation to that. I had a guy who was uh, trying to get me to join a business that he and his wife were a part of. And I did everything that I could uh, to avoid this meeting, but he just would not take no for an answer. And he kept insisting, kept, kept coming after me. And so finally I caved and, and I agreed to meet him. Now, you have to understand that his basic pitch to me was that if I would just sign up to join this company, it was inevitable that riches would be flowing my way within a matter of weeks. Okay, you've received sales pitches like this, right? And so we met at a Mexican restaurant, and he delivered the message to me about how wonderful the business was and how much money I could make while he was eating the free chips that the Mexican restaurant offered drinking tea that he had brought in the restaurant himself, and spending a grand total in the restaurant of 99 cents for cheese dip to dip the free chips in, while allowing me to pay for a meal that I would have never been eating if not for this wonderful opportunity that he wanted to tell me about. He really did not understand what it means to wine and dine someone. <laughs> he totally missed that lesson. And it was virtually impossible for me to believe that he was experiencing the reality that he was telling me could be mine if I would just sign up with his company while he ate his free chips and 99-cent cheese dip. Today, we're going to look at a section of Scripture that's pretty easy for us to dismiss as unrealistic, as much as we would dismiss life coaching from someone whose life is a mess, or we would dismiss a business opportunity from someone who only eats the free chips at the restaurant. It's really easy for us to believe that what we're going to read is something that just simply is not doable that the person writing it, the Apostle Paul, wasn't really being reasonable when he wrote it, that he wasn't, couldn't have been living in the reality 
that he is telling us we should live in. So let's go ahead and read the text, Philippians 4, 6 through 9. Here's what it says. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Whatever you have learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put it into practice, and the God of peace will be with you. So here it is, the unrealistic advice, do not be anxious about anything. I think that for most of us, when we read this advice, we want to respond to Paul something like this. Okay, Paul, let us just explain a few things to you. That kind of advice can only be given by someone who has not faced anything too tough in life yet. It's naive advice. It simply is not possible to live in that as a reality. I mean, how can I not be anxious when I don't have enough money to pay my bills? How can I not be anxious while I'm awaiting the results from the MRI or the biopsy? How can I not be anxious when I'm out of work? How can I not be anxious as someone is wheeling me into the operating room and they're about to put me to sleep? How can I not be anxious? How can I not be anxious when I work with such a volatile boss? I never know what's going to set him or her off. How can I not be anxious when I live with such a volatile spouse? You just never know what's going to happen. How can I not be anxious when going to college is going to saddle me with seventy-five dollars to $100,000 of debt? Now, can I stop here for just a minute? And can I give some advice to our young people and to our parents of young people who are heading off to college? If you cannot come out of college with less than seventy-five dollars to $100,000 of debt, you need to reevaluate your college choice. There's this place up the road called OSU Newark that is a good school. Do not come out of college with $100,000, dollars in debt. You will regret it. That's not in the Bible, but it's good advice. <laughs> Actually, the principle is in the Bible, but it's, uh, it's good advice. How can I not be anxious? When I live in the brokest nation in the history of the world, with a bunch of really unserious politicians who can't figure out a way to cut a nickel out of a multi-trillion dollar budget that puts us in the hole another one and a half trillion dollars every year. How can I not be anxious? That one was just venting. I probably shouldn't have put that one in there. <laughs> Sorry. Just venting. So Paul comes off to us like the guy who wants to be our life coach, I think. What he's saying just doesn't add up. We, we can't believe that anyone is really able to live his advice. 
How can you say such a thing? I think we're tempted to think. And here is how I believe Paul would respond to us when we ask him that question. He would say, I have been in prison frequently. I have been flogged severely. I have been exposed to death again and again. Five times I've received 40 lashes minus one. That's just kind of a creative way of saying 39 lashes. I've received 39 lashes five times. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. I spent a day and a night in the open sea. I have been constantly on the move. I have been in danger from rivers, in danger from bandits, in danger from my own countrymen, in danger from Gentiles. I've been in danger in the city. I've been in danger in the country. I've been in danger at sea. And I've been in danger from false brothers. I have labored and toiled and have often gone without sleep. I've known hunger and thirst. I have often, the Apostle Paul, I have often gone without food. I've been cold, I've been naked. Besides everything else, I face daily the pressure of my concern for all the churches. What Paul would say to us is, I can give you this advice because I know what I'm talking about. By the way, I think he would say, I am writing this to you from my prison cell. Keep this in mind. This advice that we read from Paul today in Philippians 4, do not be anxious about anything, was written while Paul was in prison. Notice what he wrote in verse 9. Whatever you have learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put it into practice. I believe Paul, by including this scene in me reference, is reminding them that his life serves as a demonstration of the advice that he's giving. Paul can give this advice because he's walked the path that he's telling them to walk, that he's telling us to walk. He has done, he has lived in the reality that he is telling us is possible. Paul has experienced the answer that he is offering each and every one of us. He's not a life coach whose life is in disarray. He's not a successful businessman just without the success part. He says, don't be anxious, based on his own life experience and his own understanding that it really is possible to face the tough stuff that life throws at us without being anxious. We think that this is pie-in-the-sky stuff because It is not reality for many of us. And yet Paul says it is possible to not be anxious. It is possible to have peace even in really difficult times, even in circumstances that really are objectively scary. In fact, not only is peace possible, but according to the Bible, peace is a promise. To date in this series, we have covered the promise of salvation, the promise of a helper, which is the promise of the Holy Spirit, 
the promise of abundant life, and today we discover that peace is a promise in the Bible. It's a promise from God to each and every one of us who have surrendered our lives to Jesus Christ. Verse 7, the peace of God which transcends all understanding will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. No maybe, no might, the peace of God will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Paul says from experience, when shipwrecked, when there's no food, when you're in danger, when sitting in prison, the peace of God will guard your hearts and minds. And he refers to it as peace that transcends understanding. Peace that goes beyond understanding, it passes understanding. Peace that really from a natural perspective does not make any sense. How does someone have peace when faced with a peace-shattering situation? It does not make any natural sense to have peace when the test result might be positive. It doesn't make sense to have peace when you're out of work. It doesn't make a whole lot of sense to have peace when you're about to be put to sleep and operated on. You have read the things you have to sign, right? It doesn't make a lot of peace. My apologies if you're having surgery this week. (laughs) I should not have pointed out to read the fine print, but it is not comforting. How do you have peace in that kind of situation? But the promise of peace is that even when peace does not make sense, you will still have it. Even when having peace defies common sense, you'll have it. So it's a promise. And it's a promise that cannot be contained within what seems normal or natural. It's not peace when things are peaceful. It is peace even though you are in the midst of what by any reasonable accounting should cause you to be anxious. William MacDonald writes, People of the world cannot understand it at all. And even Christians find a wonderful element of mystery about it. They're surprised by their own lack of anxiety in the face of tragedy or adverse circumstances. And I know that many of you here in this congregation can offer testimony that you have experienced this mysterious peace. You you have. You know, over the last few years, we have uh, watched a number of our members pass from this life to the next life. And I can tell you that in every case when I have, uh, you know, been with these folks who, you know, really were, were looking at imminent death, in every case they have just been enveloped by peace. They've had peace that just amazes. Peace that does not make sense. I've witnessed the peace that my own a mother had as she was diagnosed with cancer and went through treatments and surgery not knowing what the outcome would be. And by the way, next month she marks two years of being cancer free. There are many people here today who could get up and offer a testimony that what Paul is saying is true. When you're in a situation that you would have never chosen, 
and you don't have any other option but to rely on God, He makes good on His promise. And He provides peace that passes understanding. Verse 7 tells us the peace of God will be with us, that it is peace that passes understanding. And then verse 9 tells us it isn't just the peace of God that will be with us, but it says the God of peace will be with you. We can have the peace of God because the God of peace is with us. He's with us. He walks with us through every adversity that life brings our way. You're never in your situation alone. God is with you through everything. When you're awaiting the test result, God is with you. When you're facing unemployment or a loss of hours on your job, you are not alone. God is with you. When you are facing that volatile boss every Monday morning, God is with you. I think an important thing for us to, to remember to have the peace of God is to have this awareness that the God of peace is always with us. And as we talked about a couple of weeks ago, not only is he with us, but he is in us. So we see in these verses the promise of peace. The peace of God will guard us. It's peace that transcends understanding. And we can have the peace of God because the God of peace himself is both uh, with us and in us. But with every promise that we've considered throughout this series and all the ones we will consider throughout this uh, series, there are some conditions, there are some, some things that we need to do to experience the promise. In these verses, Paul both assures us that God will provide peace to us, but also reminds us that we have some responsibility in the matter. When we are tempted toward anxiety, when anxious thoughts begin to fill our minds, I believe Paul is telling us we are not helpless against this. We can help it. We have a role to play. God provides the peace, but there is some responsibility that we have in order to experience the promise, in order to live in the reality of the promise. Verse 6, do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and petition, present your request to God. How do you experience the peace that God promises us? You pray about everything. Pray about everything. Paul tells us the way to be anxious about nothing is to pray about everything. By prayer and petition, present your request to God. Now, the distinction between prayer and petition um, isn't entirely clear, but what it might be is that prayer is meant to signify an overall attitude of our lives, that that our lives just generally are to be prayerful lives, whereas petition signifies the specific request uh, that we would bring to the Lord. So when prayer is a normal experience of our lives, we are already at an advantage when life throws us peace-shattering situations. And then when specific problems arise, Paul says we're to take those to God in prayer if we want to have peace. So If we're to experience the promised peace, we have to be prayerful people, people who live prayerful lives, and people who are quick to turn to God with each and every situation that comes to us, each and every time we're faced with trouble, confident that we can be helped by Him. So we experience the peace of God by praying about everything. And then verse 6 tells us that we're to pray about everything with thanksgiving. 
with thanksgiving. To experience the promised peace, we need to be willing to give thanks even in the midst of our difficult circumstances. You see, what being thankful really is, is remembering all the blessings that God has given us. And when we're mindful of the many ways that God has taken care of us, provided for us, sustained us, and delivered us, do you know what it has an interesting way of accomplishing in our lives? Helping anxiety to begin to melt away when we focus on all of the things that we have to be thankful for. You know, you may be tempted toward anxiety over your financial situation, but then when you begin to pray with thanksgiving, you begin to remember and you begin to thank God for all the times that he placed food on your table when you didn't know how there was going to be food on your table. You remember those times and you express thanks for those times when you didn't know how you were going to afford to get your car fixed, and yet somehow you figured out a way to get your car fixed. You remember that though money is tight, you still have a nice place to live. You remember that you're still surrounded by friends who, if it gets too bad, you don't want to, but you can turn to in time of trouble. Praying with thanksgiving does something in your heart. It focuses you on God's care for you rather than on your problems alone. It reminds you that in the midst of your trouble, you're still blessed in many ways. Praying with thanksgiving can help us experience the peace that God has promised us. And then I like the way the last part of verse 6 reads, present your request to God. Maxie Dunham encourages us to think of taking our cares to God or presenting our cares to God as yielding those cares to God, leaving our cares in the hands of God. So not just here they are, but I'll hold on to them, but here they are, I'm going to give them over to you. In prayer, what we're doing is we're saying, God, I have a problem. Here it is. I'm going to give it to you, and I'm just going to leave it there with you. When we're tempted toward anxiety, I think a great thing that we could do as we present our request to God is imagine that we are in a room with Jesus. And imagine as we are praying that we, like visualize this, see yourself doing this. You're actually handing over the thing that has you worried to him. And you imagine him reaching out his hand and taking it from you. And then you get up, you don't have it anymore, and you walk away. I'd encourage you to allow that that little movie to play in your mind the next time you take your cares and concerns to God. So to experience the promised peace, we pray about everything. We remember to give thanks. We leave our cares in the hands of God. And then the final thing we find in these verses is that we are to fill our minds with uplifting thoughts. We are to fill our minds with God-honoring thoughts. Verse 8 says, finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, pure, lovely, admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about those things. Think about such things. And then verse 9, whatever you have learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put it into practice and the God of peace will be with you. Now, I want you to notice here again this union between uh, God's provision and our responsibility. God provides the peace that passes understanding. 
But Paul tells us that we need to put into practice the things learned, received, and heard from him, the things seen in him. It's from God. It's a gift. But we need to put these things into practice. I think it's a general principle that we find in verse 8, that thinking on good and uplifting things promotes positive stuff in our lives. You know, searching WebMD incessantly for the answer to every ache and pain does not promote peace. I cannot tell you how many times I've had cancer from going to WebMD. It does not promote peace. Taking everything to God in prayer does. Obsessing over the bills that have to be paid this week will not promote peace. Like remembering all the times God has provided for you and giving him thanks. Now catch, I said obsessing over. You do need to think about the bills that need paid this week. Not thinking about the bills at all will lead to a peace problem. But uh, don't obsess. Don't obsess. Worrying about what mood your boss is in tomorrow won't bring peace like taking your boss to Jesus. Saying, I need you to handle this one for me. (laughs) And worrying about the future will not promote peace like thinking about this wonderful truth the God we serve holds the future in his hands. That promotes peace. Think on good things. Think on uplifting things. When you consider the list of things that Paul shares in verse 8, it's really good to realize that what is noble and true and just and pure and virtuous and praiseworthy Who comes to mind when you think of all of those words? Jesus comes to mind. All of those things are found in Christ. Maxie Dunham writes, The Christian can never use the power of positive thinking without keeping foremost where our thinking is to be centered. For Christians, what we think must always have the shape of the cross about it. Fill your mind with Christ. Fill your mind with good and godly things if you want to experience the peace that God has promised to you. So, Paul says don't be anxious about anything. He can say it because he's lived it. His life was as stressful as any that any of us have ever lived. Don't be anxious about anything. Peace is a promise from God to each and every one of us who have surrendered to Christ. You can experience the promised peace by praying about everything, remembering to give thanks, leaving your cares in the hands of God, or if you prefer this image, imagine yourself coming and laying your cares at the feet of Jesus, however you prefer to think about it, and then filling your mind with good, uplifting, godly, Christ-centered thoughts. Throughout our congregation, as I've mentioned a couple times already, there are people who I know have experienced this peace from God even in the midst of situations that understandably would cause anxiety. And one of those is uh, Sean Cahall, who 
always sits here on the uh, front and center, uh, except when he's serving in children's ministry. And I thought it would um, be encouraging for us to hear Sean's story of peace. I thought it would be a good illustration of the truthfulness of Paul's teaching and the reliability of God's promise for you to hear Sean's testimony today. So why don't you welcome Sean as he comes. Thank you. That's a long walk. So about a year ago, uh, it's not quite a year yet, I uh, went to the doctor for a you're getting old doctor visit, you know. And uh, we were just talking and I was just answering some routine questions and uh, it kind of led him to say, you know what, I I think it'd be a good idea if he went and got a a CAT scan. And uh, so reluctantly, uh, I went and it was in the same building, walk in, no wait. So I went and uh, put it behind me. Uh, took the rest of the afternoon off, and uh, Amy and I went shopping together. And uh, so we were in Target over on 256, and within an hour of me leaving that facility, my doctor calls. So I don't know if, if, if you have this problem, but I have a hard time getting answers from my doctor. And when they call within an hour, you know it's bad, right? So they called Amy's cell phone, and... Um, so he, he told Amy, he said the results uh, were concerning. That's, that's the term he used. And uh, he needed to see us as soon as possible. So, um, sorry. I remember looking at Amy, and it was just heart-wrenching. And later Amy told me, you know, Felt like somebody punched her in the gut. And uh, so this was a Friday afternoon. So not only did we have the rest of Friday and the weekend, but you know how long it takes to get in to see your doctor. So it would have been mid-next week, the following week. So I didn't want to talk about it. Uh, Not that I didn't want to talk about it. It was, uh, um, I think that just concerned Amy that, you know, that I I don't want to, I'm not one who shares my feelings uh, like that. Uh, but I didn't want to tell anybody about it. I didn't want to talk about it for fear of alarming my kids. You know, I didn't want them to go through that un, undue worry that, uh, of the what ifs, right? So, but Amy did what Amy does, and she called this small band of prayer warriors, and they went to work, right? And uh, <clears throat> so we finally got into the doctor's office uh, early the next week. And he was very direct. He said, you know what? And I, this guy's been my doctor since I was in third grade. Could you imagine how old he is, right? <laughs> but he said, you know, the, uh, the CT scan showed some shadowing on the front of my brain. And the good news was there, there was a brain there. <laughs> but the shadowing could be you know, like harmless uh, abnormal blood vessels that have been there my whole life. Uh, or it's a brain tumor. There's your options right there. It's either harmless or it's, or it's cancer. And so at that moment, I was facing life as normal or this is the beginning of the end. And that's, that's really where I was at that point. So, you know, because I didn't talk about it, uh, I went back to, back to work and uh, Amy called me. She goes, Pastor Brian wants to talk to you. Please call him. And because I always do everything my wife asks me to do. That's, that's a joke. <clears throat> um, 
So I called Pastor Brian. I recall the conversation that we had. And he asked me how I was doing with this. And I told him, I'm, I'm doing okay. And my main concern was how Amy was doing with this. So if you're looking for specifics to pray for, I want you to pray for Amy. I want you to pray for her. And, uh, and not pray for me. And, uh, you know, as I'm walking through this, I was like, you know, my main concern is, is my kids, you know, and, uh, and, and I want you to pray for them. And, uh, I, I told him, I was like, you know, um, if this is the walk that God wants me to take, I'm ready to take it, you know? And he was quite shocked. He, you know, I remember him saying, it's like, I'm kind of taken back by your attitude with, with this whole thing. I expected a little bit more, you know, concern from you. And, and here's where I was. I told him that I was at peace with it because either way this goes, I win, right? If this is, if this turns out to be nothing, then I get to spend more time with, with my kids here on earth, my wife, and listening to his sermons. <clears throat> if this goes the other way, then I get to, I get to, uh, to meet Jesus and walk on the streets that are golden. I think about that thought right there. So, you know, after he asked me to share my testimony, I tried to think about, you know, when did I start thinking that way, you know? And so it's important to know that my father, my dad passed away at the age of 46, and my mom passed away at the age of 57. So I prepared myself that I too could face an early death. I mean, the odds are there. And uh, so I was not shocked at the possibility that this could happen, right? Uh, But in my preparation, you know, since I was probably 25, you know, I wanted to make sure that in death that I had the peace of knowing that I will see Jesus, right? And uh, we're all going to die. And I think that's, you know, we all owe a death in this body. But, you know, there's a reward in death. And I got to tell you, I get very excited about that. You know, and um, so that's where I was. And I, I remember when my mom was going through, she had a, she had cancer and she fought a great fight. And uh, I remember <clears throat> after she went through a little over a year of, you know, the latest uh, uh, chemo cocktail that, that she had, um, the doctors had no more answers for. So at that point, um, I remember going through this, and I remember people were buying drugs out of Mexico that guaranteed to cure cancer your money back. I remember people who were making, uh, you know, it was, just, it was just crazy. And a, a, a friend of mine who happened to be a pastor came over, and he says, what do you want me to pray for, you know? And at that moment, I think I, I had a change, and I, there's always somebody... Sometimes in your life where you meet somebody who changes the way you think about things or the way you look at things. And it was at that moment, I was like, you know what? Here's what I want you to pray about. I know God can, can, can perform miracles. I've seen it happen in my own eyes. And if he has one up his sleeve, I'm willing to watch it. But if not, I pray that his will be done because his will is perfect in all ways. And even though we don't understand it, his will be done. And I think once I got to that point, and I knew he was in control, I think that you know, changed my, my outlook for, for the rest of my life. And I said, and I, I saw it in his, uh, in his sermon out, outlooks, remember to give thanks 
And in those situations, both times when I lost my mother and my father, <clears throat> and, you know, Amy says, how do you do that? How do you go through life, you know, without your parents? And why doesn't it bother you as much as it should bother me? And, and I, I tell people this. It's like, you know what? God could have given me crappy parents for a lifetime, but he chose to give me great parents for a short time. So that, that was just my outlook. So after the more conclusive tests, I won. I was right. I won. And I get to spend more time with my family. So. So I want you right now, I want you to put yourself in that situation. Okay. Let's say that tomorrow, Tuesday, you get a call, the same as I did. And, uh, you know, if you're not sure that you have the peace that you need. The first step is whatever barrier that keeps you from coming up here and giving your life over to Christ. That is the very first step you got to do. Second step, no matter what comes your way, just, just give it to him. And it is, um, it's a weird feeling to, to be faced with that and not, it's not that you don't care, but you don't, you're not as concerned with it as you think you would be. So I encourage any of you guys, whatever that barrier is that keeps you from coming up, um, you know, you may not get a warning shot like I did. You may not get a warning that it's coming, you know. And uh, so I just want you to remember that in death, there is peace as well. So thank you. Thanks, Sean. What a great story. I was such an awesome pastor through that story, you know. Sean, really? Are you are you sure you have peace? Really? You're you're as calm as you're acting like. Really? Tried my best to talk him out of it. He said, "No, no, I'm peaceful. I'm peaceful." And to me, it was just a great testimony. And I've I've you know I'll always remember that about how Sean walked through that situation, and it it perfectly illustrates what Paul is talking about. It's true. God always makes good on his promises. We really can have peace in the midst of whatever life throws our way. Why don't you stand?